podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. San Diego Food System Alliance is a nonprofit collaborative that brings together businesses, nonprofit organizations, government, local farmers and fishermen, and interested and passionate community members to create a good food landscape for San Diego County. Throughout this podcast, we'll be exploring what good food means to us and how together we're working towards a good food future for our community. Welcome. My name is Shannon Pavel. I am the Development and Communications Manager for the San Diego Food System Alliance. We are a nonprofit collaborative working to cultivate a good food future for San Diego County. And what that looks like is food that's nourishing and healing for the body. Good food is affordable and accessible to everyone. Good food values the individuals who are growing and producing our food. Good food values every ingredient to its fullest potential, and good food is knowing your local food providers and where your food is coming from. For this episode, we want to explore good food being grown in our cities, urban agriculture. Urban ag is the practice of growing, harvesting, and distributing food in a city setting. So we believe this is a great way not only to beautify our cities, but to engage community members, increase access to healthy, fresh food, reduce our carbon footprint, and the list goes on and on. So today, we'll be exploring the many benefits of urban agriculture. And I have two lovely ladies here with me for this discussion, Kristen Cavernland, also known as KK, and Stephanie Norton. Uh, KK is the chair of our San Diego Food System Alliance Urban Agriculture Working Group, and in her professional life, she manages the Second Chance Youth Garden, which is an urban farm-based job readiness program for at-risk and low-income high school-aged youth. Stephanie is a decorated military veteran and founding farmer at Dickinson Farm, which is an urban farm in National City. So we certainly have two leading ladies here in San Diego um, in the urban agriculture field. Thank you so much for being here, ladies. Thank you. All right. So it seems like people often think of urban ag as mostly community gardens, but there are many forms that this can take, right? So urban farming. So what, Stephanie, what you'll be sharing about hydroponics or aquaponics, um, urban beekeeping, and even, you know, personal rooftop gardens. Um, any others that come to mind for you guys? Certainly small um, chickens, goats. Definitely. So, yeah, animal husbandry for sure. Um, and some of these aren't super prevalent in San Diego, but part of the goal of the San Diego Food System Alliance is to increase our urban growing environment. So I'd love just to start by allowing you to some time to introduce yourselves and share your role as it relates to urban ag. Um, and kind of share what got you guys interested in this line of work. Um, So I've been involved in urban agriculture in San Diego since about 2009 when I first moved here. My background's a little bit more in rural agriculture, um, but I moved to San Diego to work with the refugee and new immigrant community here. 
that really opened my eyes to the benefits and opportunities of urban agriculture. Um, I began working with IRC doing hands-on farm work with high school-aged youth, um, creating programs at both Crawford and Hoover High Schools. And through these programs, youth were able to take food home, compost waste from their cafeterias, um, and even supply vegetables to their school lunches. A big part of the program was about helping pass down intergenerational knowledge. Um, So their families were worried that their kids would lose the connection and appreciation for growing and eating good food. That's the primary reason why we started youth programming uh, for these participants. Um, At that time, I also became really involved in the One in Ten Coalition and the Cultivating Food Justice Conferences and learned about a lot of the barriers to urban agriculture at that time in San Diego. I helped organize around city policy change, which was a three-year process that eventually helped ease regulations for keeping bees, chickens, and goats in the city and and the permitting process for community gardens and urban farm sites. Sorry, KK, can I ask, what's the 1 in 10 coalition? I'm not familiar. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if we're really an active group at this point, but it was started in 2010, or it was started in, I think, maybe 2008. I came on the scene around 2009, but the goal was that 1 in 10 people by 2010 would be growing or purchasing local food. So we saw this gap of um, what was happening in San Diego and how difficult it was to either purchase or grow your own food. We started with policy because that's sort of the biggest barrier we came up against was how do people grow their own food if there's all these very restrictive policies in the city of San Diego. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what led into some of the, the work with uh, the city. So anyway, working with IRC helped kind of open my eyes to these to a lot of these restrictive policies and how certain communities often faced larger barriers than other communities. And I also kind of learned about how difficult it was to sustain small-scale sustainable agriculture financially. Um, And I was really curious about learning more about the business or the social enterprise end of it. And so I actually left San Diego and went to Vermont to study small-scale sustainable agriculture. And I worked with a lot of really knowledgeable growers and business owners there. Um, But I ended up coming back because Vermont's a pretty saturated market, and I felt like there was a greater need here back in San Diego. Um, So I returned to work with disadvantaged youth in urban ag, and through my work right now at Second Chance, I'm able to run uh, the garden as a social enterprise. So we do bring in about 15 to 20% of our operating budget through our produce sales, which is about $30,000 a year, which doesn't sound like much, but for a small nonprofit program on less than a half acre of land, it's pretty good, I think. (laughs) And that's very impressive. Um, And so, yeah, I'm also pretty invested in food accessibility to disadvantaged populations and how urban ag can help bridge some of those gaps as well. Awesome. Thanks, KK, for sharing. Uh, Stephanie, you want to tell us a little bit about your story and um, Dickinson Farm, how that came to be? Sure. So I don't have a, um agriculture background at all. My background is actually um, regulatory compliance and the military. So we bought um, the Dickinson homestead in National City. It's just shy of an acre. It used to be about 40 acres in 2012. And I promptly left for deployment. Um, just prior to deployment, I got bit by a tick, but we it was undiagnosed. So I left on deployment. I left for about three years or two and a half years. Um, 
all during deployment, I was very sick. There was times I couldn't walk. Um, I had kind of Bell's palsy symptoms. So all this crazy stuff in the middle of uh, a deployment in Guantanamo Bay. Oh my gosh. So when we got back, um, then I had time to go through the medical system and it took another handful of months and they diagnosed me with stage three Lyme, which um, impacts your whole body. It goes into your um, tissues and joints and everything. And they promptly started me on daily IV treatment. So... Within the first couple of months, I started having allergic reactions to the food I was eating. And um, from the start, the doctor said, just eat as clean as possible so we don't worry about, um, you know, the fact we're killing off your immune system to kill this bacteria. And then you go out and somebody has dirty hands or something like that. So we were cooking a lot at home. um, But I was having all these reactions to my food. And we were, we tried a CSA and I was still having reactions. So... Our thought process, because, you know, farming is super simple, was just that we would just grow our own food, right? Because like, we all chuckle. Exactly. We're just like, we're just going to grow our own food. Um, my doctor smiled and patted my husband and said, don't let her kill herself. Like, just, just, we're trying to save her here. And um, we built some raised beds and started growing our own food. And we had a lot. Um, we worked with a small co-op. We were giving it away to neighbors. And then my treatment protocol was two years. A year in, the military decided to medically retire me. And at that point, um, I really didn't know. It, it. I was probably delusional in thinking that I would get through medical treatment and go back in the military. I had, like, my next five deployments set up. I knew where I was going. My husband was like, you're in a wheelchair. I'm like, that's okay. I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Um, so I was actually really shocked when it happened. It just kind of hit me. Out of, it, I seriously was not prepared for it. So I took that energy of like shock and anger and disbelief and um, just tried to figure out an outlet for it. And one of the things my husband said was, you served your country, serve your community. And I spent the rest of the time I was in that IV chair and figured out um, anything I could learn about plot planning and, and growing um, for a commercial market and then everything that it took to do it legally, like all the business licenses and everything like that. So I built the the plot plan and the business license from an IV chair, um, aggressively typing. And then we built it from day one with an employee in mind, just because there are still days that I can't walk. Um, and we did that. So our business plan had us being financially viable within 18 months. We met it in 12. Um, we have an employee and then, um, about a year and a half into it, we launched our pharmacy. So our food is medicine program. And that was the exact same day that I went back into treatment. So I'm back into treatment this January. Wow. Um, but if we, it's still, I mean, it's the energy that it took, um, the drive and energy that it took to build the business of the farm i feel like there's uh if you have to find a silver lining about going back into treatment you can take that same energy and so this year i built a business of farming class so it's like (laughs) take that energy you're sitting there anyway um so yeah it's no place that we ever expected to be farming is not we're a military family um we both had a lot of travel planned for this part of our life but i think it's exactly where we need to be that's amazing Thank, thank you, you for sharing. Um, congratulations on your success. And also thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. That's really incredible. And you mentioned the pharmacy program. And I would love to just take a second because I love this program so much. Do you want to share a little bit sure. about what that looks sure. like? 
So we started um, end of last year. We were talking a lot to um, the patients in my clinic and and my doctor and my nurse and just about what their needs were. And the biggest challenge that happens when you get kind of a life-changing diagnosis is that one of the big things is is that food plays a part in that, um, whether it's the emotional part, the physical part, counter-interdictions like I was having, um, and being able to do everything that you have to do in your in your treatment protocol, um, which for some people is IVs and, and all these different things, adding eating healthy and changing your diet is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And then where do I go to get it? What do I do? So I really took what we went through and said, okay, how can we make this into something that that just takes one thing literally off your plate and puts you back at the dinner table with your family? So I partnered with um, Chef Christina to put together a program that is based on um, your dietary needs. So it's it's really simple. It's either candida, because a lot of people on um, heavy antibiotics end up with candida issues, anti-inflammatory, so rheumatoid arthritis, Lyme, autoimmune disorders, um, and then diabetes or prediabetes. So we take a CSA bag weekly. Half of it goes to Christina. She makes their meals. The other half is fresh eating because our goal is not that you're doing food prep the rest of your life, but that slowly you get back to cooking for yourself and your family or somebody in your house cooks for you <laughs> yourself and your family. Um, and we do doorstep delivery. So that's every Monday. And it's it's really awesome. I mean, we it, it, the the overwhelming um, success of it, we didn't expect it. We were really successful very quickly with it. And then um, the patients will every one of the patients has told us it's allowed them to focus more on their treatment and and not be stressed about that, which is huge for us. That's amazing. Obviously, health is one of the biggest reasons, right, that we want fresh food in mm-hmm. our lives and in our cities. And in our last podcast episode, actually, we focused on food insecurity in San Diego County and uh, you know, talked about that there are 500,000 people in our community that don't have enough access to healthy, affordable foods. And urban agriculture may be a part of that solution by growing fresh produce, fresh fruits and veggies, and distributing them directly into the communities that need it the most. So it provides an opportunity for members, community members to grow their own food, for kids to see where their food is coming from, which we know, you know, will increase the likelihood that they'll choose healthier options as they become more familiar. So I imagine we can talk for quite some time about the benefits of urban agriculture, but I would love to ask both of you guys kind of your top, top two, maybe top two or three reasons that you feel this is something really important and like we should promote and pursue. Sure. Uh, So I guess for me, real food production. So real food in the sense that you know where it's coming from. Like Stephanie was saying, it's it's fresh and it's clean food um, and it's close to the consumers. Um, and then for me, the second one would probably be food systems education. So I think when people walk by and they, see, they can see it in their city growing or in their backyard or by their neighbors, it's a conversation starter to talk about the larger issues in our food system. Um, and I guess for me, the third one would be community building or organizing, especially for a community garden, but having a gathering space, uh, finding ways where people can connect about issues that they're having or they're struggling with, um, and using that as an organizing platform, not just around food and health, but maybe around other issues that the community is also facing. 
I love that. The community building piece is so important. Uh, Stephanie, what what do you think in terms of the kind of top few benefits of urban ag? Sure. Um, definitely food security is a big one. Um, being able to grow in your neighborhoods and, and grow for yourself and, and um, your community is huge. But I think the other part of it, too, is that <clears throat> being able to grow in an urban environment and kind of smaller scale agriculture allows us to be more diverse in our crops um, so we can do things that have no shelf life. Like we grow heirloom varietals. So we're 100% heirloom. And, and I can tell you, I can't ship my stuff anywhere, right? I pick it as soon as it's ripe and um, it gets hand carried and hand delivered. So it gives us um, a greater range of products and and things like kids not knowing where their food comes from. We have kids that swear that they the parents will say they won't eat carrots and then they're coming and trying a carrot that they actually pulled mm-hmm. and it looks different and isn't that interesting and they're eating it. Um, and then there's also the side of it that I think is, you know, as a culture, we tend or as a society, we tend to really understand why local honey is important for allergies and all these different things. And and local food kind of falls into that. Like when we're eating the foods that we're around and we are growing them in a way that is natural and we're not using a bunch of chemicals, we're getting as clean a food as possible and likely to be less allergens than than we're doing if we're pulling food in from all over um, that may be ozoned or chemical to to ripen it. So I think just from if we can kind of make that correlation that if you believe in local honey, believe in local food. I love that. I definitely eat local honey because of allergies, but I never really even thought about the local produce aspect of that. That's a really good point. So the exciting thing is that we're seeing kind of this bigger push for urban agriculture here in San Diego County with the newly adopted urban agriculture incentive zone in the cities of San Diego and Chula Vista. So this is a tax incentive for owners of vacant lots within those city limits that are willing to lease those lots to urban growers. Um, KK, can you share a little bit about the history of UAIZ? Um, sorry, Urban Agriculture Incentive Zone, also known as UAIZ, um, and kind of what are the plans for moving this forward and getting people engaged in this tax break? Sure. So UAIZ stemmed from the Assembly Bill 551, which was, was passed in 2014, and it provided tax incentives to landowners willing to lease vacant property to urban growers. Um and so then, or actually earlier this year is when the city of San Diego passed it. And I think Chula Vista passed it very recently. Very recently. Yeah, like last month. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what it means is that property owners in the city of San Diego or Chula Vista, um, who for a minimum of five years will use or lease their vacant property to small-scale producer, um, could be eligible for a property tax uh, reduction. So, so far in San Diego, I know the city has found uh, over 2,000 properties that would be eligible. I think only about 200 or less have like a water meter. So not all of them are really ideal. But the city did create this really interesting website where you can go and actually map out um, or you can use a Google Google Maps search to find vacant properties in your neighborhood and see the size and what's available and so now it's sort of in this phase of kind of raising awareness of um, what the program is and hopes to match property owners with growers that are interested in participating in the program. 
Yeah, Stephanie, do you have any thoughts about UAIZ? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a it's an amazing law. It was really exciting to see it get passed kind of down in our South Bay section. Um, one of the biggest things that we see in the class that we're teaching for the business of farming is the access to land and like what that looks like. So I think this is definitely um, a tool to be able to to reduce that barrier. Um, one of the the hardest parts, and it's great to hear that the county put together that website, is just really how do you find these? So it's there. How do you find the land? How do you connect with the owners? And then really get that information out to those landowners that they can they can actually have a benefit to this, and then it benefits the communities as well. Yeah, I think there's still sort of a barrier of how do you get a hold of the people that own the land because the city can't necessarily provide you with the contact information or the person who owns the land. So there's still sort of a gap that you have to sort of maybe go around that neighborhood, ask around who owns the land and how to get a hold of them. But there's definitely significant groundwork done in terms of like identifying the parcels. So, And there's going to be some outreach too on behalf of the city reaching out Mm -hmm. to, um, the property, Paul the property, property owners, right, right. And then hopefully having that space be on the website to connect those interested growers with the property owners. Yeah. So, KK, as the chair of the San Diego Food System Alliance Urban Agriculture Working Group, um, can you share a little bit about that group and how they're working to promote urban ag, um, kind of their involvement in UAIZ, but also overall um, the goals for for that working group? Sure, yeah. So this past year, the focus really has been UAZ, but basically the group is designed to help advocate for urban agriculture. So sometimes we're using it to help raise awareness about policy issues, um, mostly just to provide a space for anyone involved in urban agriculture or interested in getting involved to to have like a peer learning space. Uh, One of the unique things about our group is that we try to meet at a different um, urban ag site each month so that we also get to sort of see someone's space and find out about um, different initiatives that we might not have known about before and um, just sort of have that as a network. I'll just do like a shameless plug for this working group because I love it so much and it is so nice to get to be out in the community and, like KK said, to go to different urban agriculture spots, different community gardens and things like that. It's just a really great, uh, it's a great group. Um, so we'll have some information towards the end of the podcast if you want to get involved in that. Uh, but I want to circle back to Stephanie and ask just kind of as an urban farmer, what do you want San Diegans to know about their food? I think the biggest thing is that people have a misconception, and I'm glad you covered in the beginning, is that um, urban agriculture means only community gardens, right, or school gardens. Um, but there's commercial farms, right, in your community. And if you look around, you could probably find them within dri- certainly driving and some of them within walking of your community. But more importantly, that those commercial farms are the same regulated the exact same way as a thousand acres in Nebraska, right? So we're we're a commercial farm. We follow all the same laws. Your food is just as safe. And I would say that it's probably safer because you're going straight from um, the harvest to your hands and not as many kind of stops and delays. So especially in, in this time of food outbreaks and people's concerns, it's knowing that your local farmer is probably the safest place that you can get food. And there you just have to look around. 
just pay a, you know, ask around, look around. They're probably a couple blocks from you. KK, did you have anything to add? I mean, I think just also knowing that we're out there, which I guess Stephanie kind of pointed out, but uh, sometimes you get caught up in the day to day as the farmer. And I think one of the biggest challenges can be marketing. And um, I know Dickens' farm is really good at that, but the rest (laughs) of us are not. And sometimes it feels like, where are all the customers? And so just to remind people, you know, there are a lot of CSA programs that aren't truly CSAs. Mm -hmm. And um, really try to find out if you want to support where the food's coming from. And you'll find that there aren't as many people as you thought there were in San Diego. And um, I think, yeah, just do your research. And if you have the ability to support local, it, it can make a huge impact in the communities where we're all located. Definitely. My last question, which kind of covered, but my last question was really what actions can locals take to support urban agriculture? And I mean, right, it's what we're, we're speaking about. It's getting to know your local farmer. It's purchasing directly from them. However, that looks for you at farmer's market through a CSA. Um, but anything that you guys want to add? Really just get to know them. I mean, and and understand, I think one of the, the hard parts is too is that this word local is used like as a brand and it isn't a defined term. I mean, even at kind of the USDA um, national level, there's no defined term on that. Um, so start looking to see what local means to you um, and going back to that and, and shop local. I mean, I think we do it in a lot of other parts of our lives, you know, like if you're a coffee junkie, you're going to find the, the local roaster and go to them. So just find whoever your local farmer is and and really support them. Yeah, I definitely had that on my list. Buy, <laughs> buy food from them. But also, I guess, be a good neighbor. I think sometimes with community gardens or just backyard growers or urban farmers, sometimes when people have issues with them, us, they tend to kind of call the authorities or report something and, you know, the first thing you could do is just go have a conversation. You know, there might be a rooster that got loose or causing problems. And sometimes a farmer can fix that problem really quickly or recognizing that maybe people in your backyard are growing food as a necessity, you know, and that that's part of their own personal food security. And if, if that gets threatened, it might have a big impact as well. So, you know, just, just build that relationship in the same way, even if you're not purchasing food from them, try to, get a little invested, understand what the reasons are that people are engaging in urban ag. Thank you so much, ladies, for being here today. Um, And for our listeners, please support urban ag by joining a community garden or growing your own food in whatever space you have available. And especially like we keep saying, you know, purchase food from local farmers and get to know who's growing your food. If you happen to have a vacant lot in the city of San Diego or Chula Vista, consider leasing to a local grower. And you can learn more about the Urban Agriculture Incentive Zone at uaizsd.com. You can also go on the city website, and the, the web URL is way too long, but I'm sure you can Google City of San Diego Urban Ag or City of Chula Vista Urban Ag and Um, It can take you to that information. Uh, Another shameless plug for our working groups, if you want to be more involved in promoting urban agriculture, the San Diego Food System Alliance facilitates these monthly 
working group meetings to support our urban growing environment. So check that out on our website, sdfsa.org. Working group meetings are open to anyone who's interested. And the next meeting is November 28th, 3 to 4.30. You get to hang out with lovely KK and myself sometimes. Please stay tuned for our episode next month. We'll be talking more specifically about farming and reducing barriers to farming here in San Diego County. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please find us on iTunes or SoundCloud and rate our podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the San Diego Food System Alliance, you can find us on our website, www.sdfsa.org, or find us on social media at sdfoodsys. That's F-O-O-D-S-Y-S. I also want to thank Specialty Produce for hosting us today. Now go out and enjoy some good food in San Diego. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.